All right, well, good morning. You may be seated. Welcome. My name is James. If you are a guest today, good to have you. Uh, we are in a series on spiritual gifts, still studying uh, what the Bible teaches us about spiritual gifts. So if you are just joining us, um, what are spiritual gifts? They're not natural gifts that you're born with, that God wired in you and he created you from birth or acquired gifts, but are uh, divine abilities, supernatural giftings that are given to every believer the moment they become spirit-filled, the moment you believe in Jesus, the Bible teaches you've been given spiritual gifts. And so this is what we've been talking about. And uh, for me, what, what this means uh, for us as a church, which has been really exciting, is that when we gather like this, or when you go into your community group or you're with other friends, what that means, um, at least what I've been learning in a profound new way, is that we're not spectators anymore. Like, like right now where you are, uh, you're not here only to be like, okay, what do I get out of this? What's in it for me? If anything, you're here now because you're thinking, Holy Spirit, you want to use me today to strengthen others' faith. Like spiritual gifts change how you walk into a room. They, you now come into church and you go, okay, Holy Spirit, will you show me whom I can serve, who I can build up? Like that's what you're excited about. And so what I wanna do right now before we, we start is I want you to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to use your gifts this morning. Okay, so that's what we're gonna do. You go ahead, you pray that on your own and then I'll come right back. Amen. Awesome. Thank you. All right. If this is all brand new to you, you're like, this is kind of a weird opening. It's not. It's going to get weirder. Um, uh, if you're like brand new to even spiritual gifts, we've done like, I think six sermons now already. I would encourage you to, to catch up. What we're going to do today, because we've looked at uh, 20 of the gifts, we're going to pick up today with the gifts of healing. So we skipped this gift specifically because... Um, I realized as I was studying it, too much damage has been done to people's faith and love of Jesus because all spiritual gifts are designed to that when you're experiencing them from someone, you're almost experiencing Jesus through them. Like, like all gifts should, you, the person should walk away and go like, I just felt like the love of God or the truth of God. And I just felt like he was with me and I feel built up with this one in particular. It has done more damage to people's faith and love of Jesus than any other spiritual gift. So we need to talk about it. Um, it's also done globally more damage uh, under the Christian umbrella than any other spiritual gift. Because there is, listen, there's a dangerous false teaching, and by false, I just mean uh, it's nowhere near biblical to say that there should be no suffering even on this side of heaven. But there, there's a teaching out there, and it goes usually under different umbrellas like the Word of Faith movement, uh, things like that. There's a teaching that says uh, you shouldn't suffer, if anything, you need, our job now, because you know Jesus came out of the grave, our job now is we need to pull heaven down. Like You shouldn't be suffering. Don't believe in suffering. Rebuke that. And, and, and what they'll teach, which is so damaging, is if you don't get healed, that's not God's fault. Because what they'll teach is that he's already purchased healing for everyone. And so something's wrong with us and with our faith or our gifting. And, and it's, it's this like gymnastics of what were you feeling? How was your week? And, um, and, and, 
worse, okay, even worse, and you can see this more globally than you can today, or even, even in the States, you see it a little bit more than in Canada, um, but it's this idea that God rewards increases in faith with increases in health and wealth. Okay, we've all seen maybe the televangelist or the, t- the healer. He's like, send in your money and I'll send you this robe and you put it on and you'll grow legs. Like it's, it's, it's that whole thing. But people who don't have legs are like, oh my, I need this robe. Um, it just couldn't be farther from what the Bible teaches. So I don't mean, you know, like I, you guys know me enough, those who know me, uh, that I don't open with a lot of critique. However, we need to talk about suffering and it's, and I choose these words really closely, glorious role in the hands of a good and sovereign God while at the same time, not swing so far to say that God isn't healing or doesn't heal because he does. And I've been praying all week and we've been praying all morning that God would really manifest by the spirit gifts of healings today. And so if you want healing today, I want you to ask even right now, ask the Holy Spirit, do you wanna heal me today? If you have the spiritual gift of words of knowledge, I want you to pray as we begin, Holy Spirit, will you show someone, show me a body part, show me uh, something that someone's going through that you wanna heal today? And if he does, I want you to come talk to me after the sermon, because I believe God wants to heal. But we need to talk about this. So that's where we're going. What we're gonna do today is I'm gonna give us a context for healing. We're gonna talk about suffering and the biblical role and the good it can have in our lives that it's even better we don't get healed. We, we, I need to show you that because that's much of what the scriptures teach. Then I wanna show you when does God heal? When does he heal? There's certain things always at work in the Bible when we see him healing. So we wanna know a little bit about that. And then third, what's the spiritual gifts of healings? So that's where we're going. You can see the points. We have points up there. But let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll get going. Uh, Father, I just ask that you would give us faith this morning, and I pray that you would heal uh, theologically. Like I, like I just, I, and, and, and it would be so profound that we would be healed emotionally, even mentally and physically. And I just wanna ask that as, as I teach, that I would trust you, Holy Spirit, to apply as I know I can't say everything that should and needs to be said on this topic, but I pray for your help and I pray that what is here, that you would help me teach it with great power. And I, I just, I pray for healing today. I pray, I pray you would heal in, in all the ways your will is. So we, we're excited to hear from you. And so Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd help us. And I pray for those who, who have the spiritual gifts of healings in this room. I pray that you'd reveal to them that this is indeed their gift. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Um, Let me just say, I'm going to, on our sermon page, just under this sermon at the website, uh, list 
uh, the five greatest books I've ever read or seen on the topic of suffering, both uh, from a philosophical standpoint. So if you're like, what the problem of evil, like why is there suffering? Uh, you know, all the complex questions that go with that. Then we're gonna look at theological books I'll post where it's like, what does the Bible and it's grandiose say about evil and suffering? And also pastoral, like if you're in the middle of, go, of, of real deep pain and, and it's gripping you and you, you just need some down to earth help, there's some books there that I'll post as well. But let me just start off with some big Bible sentences and then we're gonna narrow it down uh, specifically to this topic of healing and suffering and all that, okay? So big Bible sentences. First, the Bible just, it begins with God like gloriously and wondrously bringing order out of chaos, uh, bringing life out of darkness. It's, it's, it begins with God crafting a world of just breathtaking beauty and unfathomable goodness and relational joy in God. Like paradise is, is pulsating with love, order, harmony, wholeness, life. Like that's it. That's what it began with. Sadly, and we know this, if, if you've read the Bible or have lived a day or two in your life, uh, that that glorious garden scene is, is short-lived and that suffering has entered into the universe. It began when in the garden when Adam and Eve chose to want to be like God, chose to want to not trust his word or believe he's good. And in that brought death and decay. And because of God's judgment on sin, it broke all of our relationships, our relationship with God and one another and, 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 and misery and pain and, and a need for hope and healing and restoration just, just entered into the fabric of how things are. So just to give you a little bit more, it's it, in Luke 13, the disciples, really interesting, they come to Jesus and they say to him, like, you, did, Jesus, did you read the news? Like, like Herod just killed a bunch of people getting justice and all this. And, and then did you hear about the tower that fell on these other Galileans? Like they come to him with like suffering and pain. Some of it's like accidental. The tower just fell. Maybe the guy didn't build it right. Or, or maybe some of it's just this, this massacre, which is just malicious suffering. And it's interesting. Jesus response in both is something I'll give you kind of a, a quick version of it. But he says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners? In the second case, he says that they were worse offenders. And D.A. Carson, he's a great New Testament theologian, he points out what Jesus seems to presuppose, and it'll be on the screen, is that all the sufferings of the world, whether caused by malice, as in Luke 13, one to three, or by accident, as in Luke 13, four to five, are not peculiarly examples of judgment falling on the distinctively evil, but rather examples of the bare stark fact that we are all under the sentence of death. Like the Bible just teaches in all of its stories that we live on this side of heaven in, in all kinds of misery, physical, emotional, mental, sexual, spiritual, anxiety, disappointment, failure, family breakdown, sin of omission where people don't do what they should and commission, we also have an enemy who is influencing cultural ideologies, influencing, aggravating our own sin natures. Like we just live in a fallen, broken world that Romans 8 says we are just groaning. Where, where wonderful, joy-filled, Jesus-loving missionary 
women of God, like my mom, get MS five years into the mission field for decades and just got cancer last year. Like that's just what we live in. And so it's just, it's no mistake that when you open this book, like one of the first and the oldest manuscripts you will ever have of the, of the Pentateuch, you read in the first book of the Bible in Genesis, a story about Joseph where God declares to the world, not only is he coming in as a redeemer, but he's, he's quotes, he says this, what man meant for evil, God turns for good. So the Bible is gonna teach, and I'm on the big sentence stuff right now, so I can't teach it all, but the Bible teaches God is absolutely sovereign over all of it. It's never out of his control. It's always part of his plan. So here's the question. Can suffering have a purpose in the Christian life? That's, that's the question, because we're about to talk about healing, which is a good thing. So I wanna know, can suffering have a purpose in the Christian life. To answer that, I want us to think how suffering has brought you and me here today in Christ. Like to say another way, anything you and I will ever enjoy 2,000, 3,000 years from now in the new heavens and new earth, has come to us because of suffering. Let me show you this. 1 Peter 2, 24 says, he himself, speaking of Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree. What's the tree he's speaking of? The cross. Whose sins? Our sins. That's the gospel, by the way. If you're like, what is this Christianity thing all about? The gospel says that God the Father put on God the Son our sin and judged them there. Isaiah 53 says, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. So Christ bore our sins and and he procured our salvation, our forgiveness, and he did it by suffering. Like all our sins that that should have crushed us under the weight of the guilt that we just hate so much that we just get off. We're transferred to Jesus. They won't go on you ever. They won't go on you ever. They went on him. It's finished. This is what he cries out from the cross. It's done. Colossians 2, 14 to 15 says, the record of debts against us For every time we pushed God away or said, you don't matter in my life or you don't mean anything to me, so I'm gonna live how I want. And all the things we've done to our neighbors, we wish we shouldn't have, all the sin in our lives. He says this, he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And then look at what he says here. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Satan only has one weapon that can condemn you to hell. Unforgiven sin. The weapon Jesus stripped from Satan's hand on the cross was that. He disarmed Satan and he did it by suffering. Satan can't look at you and point out your sin when you have Christ because Christ died for that. He disarmed Satan. He has no weapon over you, but he did that by suffering. Jesus brings us into the everything that we're so excited about today Namely, relational life with God. Like we, we really know God. 
Like that's, this is the coolest thing about being a Christian, just so you know, if you're like not a Christian. One of the greatest things is you know him. Like you're just like, oh, I know the Lord and I can talk to him like face to face. And it's amazing. But, but how did we get that? First Peter 3.18 says, Christ also, what's our word? Suffered. Once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? That he might bring us to God. So all I want to say here is we will not know on this side of heaven why like the Holocaust, why a stillborn, why? We won't know. Like we won't know the reasons. We, we can, you know, we can point to these vague, well, it's because it's, we, we don't know. But we can say suffering exists in the universe to display the greatness of the glory of the grace of God. Here's how one put it. The highest, clearest, surest display of that glory that we're in this room and we'll spend eternity with the Lord, the th- who we were made for, who we loved the most, the, the highest, clearest, surest display of that glory is in the suffering of the best person in the universe for millions of undeserving sinners. And just so you know, like no other religion has this. So if you're like, well, I got a little bit, no other religion has God coming into the world himself who actually suffered with us. Like no other religion says that God is both sovereign and a suffering God. And this is what makes Christianity so wonderfully, beautifully unique is that our theological foundation for why Christians can be realistic and yet hopeful about suffering at the same time is because Jesus is sovereign and he suffered with us. Okay, now, that's just big, and I'm sorry if it was just too big, but um, everyone within the Christian bubble, even the word of faith movement people would say, yes, yeah, amen. Like Jesus died, they would say that, we praise him for that, but then they will go on to say, this is why we shouldn't suffer, right? They'll say, well, he's done it. If he's suffered, there should be no more suffering. You can bring healing down. So what do we say to that? It's a good, we need to know what to say to that. Here's what we say. First, well, we wouldn't say it this way, okay? Because I'm going to, you know, you would be more humble and one-on-one and you'd just be like, do you want another croissant? You know, um, but here's what, here's what I'm going to teach you. If you read anything in the Bible, after the resurrection, like I'm serious, like anything, anything after the gospels, on this side of heaven, the church is number one, not called to live safe lives for Jesus ever. In Mark eight, Jesus says, and I want you to notice the language that Jesus himself, the most loving person in the universe says, and calling the crowd, so not just his disciples, and calling the crowd, to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him, what's our word? Deny himself and, and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever just loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? So according to Jesus, no one should be teaching you, follow him and there'll be no cost, no form of suffering. No, according to Jesus, becoming a Christian is a complete and total surrender. 
which is why many people don't want to become Christians. They know that. It's a total surrender of your own desires and flesh and sinful impulses to a higher purpose of going, I trust him for my life and I want to serve him because he's real. And in the end, he is what I made for. So he will give me more joy. So it's a call to die to the stuff that's already killing you. I want you to, sh- I, I don't think I have it up here, but this next verse in Philippians 3, maybe I do. Paul says this, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. I love, I love how he says suffered. Okay, because just so you know, when I'm fighting the urge for, for entertainment or my flesh while I'm just scanning through YouTube because I want something and I don't, I feel a death in me all night because I suppress that desire. I don't feel close to God. I feel I'm suffering a loss of something I'm craving. But I know in that suffering, I will gain Christ. I know tomorrow morning's devotional and my time with the Lord will be far better. Like husbands, you will have to suffer the loss and wives suffer the loss to show mercy. Like it's just, it's, it's good that we're aware that as believers that, that are fighting sin, we will keep taking up a cross. And, and he says, following me will cost you everything. In, in John 16, he says, in the world, you will have tribulation. And that includes all kinds of tribulation. Romans 8 says, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons. Acts 14 says, through many tribulations, many, we must enter the kingdom. So we'll never be that church that promises you won't suffer or you didn't have enough faith to be healed, but rather we will be a church where you share in the sufferings, where we bear one another's sufferings, where, where, you, where we will be a refuge for those in all kinds of pain. So like if you're suffering, don't hide it. It's the worst thing you can do. If you're wrestling with your sexuality, like we just love you. If you're, if you're in pain emotionally or have really just destructive mental illness, let us be there. Like when someone's hurting, the church is the one that applies the bandages. When a member is discouraged, that's when gifts come out. Look, I know this is gonna sound strange, but there will be times where the best thing for your soul is you don't get healed. Like I'm serious, as we quoted a few sermons back in Colossians, you don't really know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. Like you don't really know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. Suffering in a good God's hands deepens faith. Gets us more of him. It presses us to rely on him. Let me show you another verse in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 to 9. So this is the same church he's writing about spiritual gifts to. He says, for we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, 
of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despised of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Nothing was going right for him. He was getting sick, shipwrecked, beaten, all and every kind of suffering was coming into their lives as they were following Jesus. But listen, but look at what he says. This, I'm just reading the Bible. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Like, think about what he's saying. He's not like Satan made this happen and I saw him at the foot of the ship and... He, no, he was like God ordained it for the increase of his faith. Like God's purposed in our lives or God's purpose in our lives is to form us into him as we follow him. And so here's where I think we get into a lot of trouble when we talk about suffering. I think the reason many doubt, even in the depths of your heart today, that God actually delights in you is because life hasn't worked out the way we thought it would. And so, so something must be off. Like I just think early on, we built these constructs in our, in our minds that life was gonna be a certain way. And it, you know, it probably included falling in love and getting married and having children who actually obey you till they're out of the home and you know, like you, there's no conflict, but we think that and we, there's always just intimacy and all money's pouring in and like we, but we all have that in our heads. And then when it didn't go that way, when it didn't go that way, all of a sudden we got frustrated with God and believed he owed us stuff that he never promised us. Like he never promised us any of that. Like I just read all the verses that he promised us. And we just, we just have to know since we're all in the same room here, okay? No one's life has gone the way they thought it would go. Like no one in this room. But do you trust that with his heart and his scalpel that everything that he's allowed or has seen come into your life was never an act of cruelty, but it's always an act of mercy. And I just can't wait for so many people who have suffered so much to have that time with the Lord. Because I think he'll give it to you. And I, listen, I, I know the hurt in this place. Like I do. And so I say with a heavy heart, like there are times when some of us will think there's no way what happened to me was loving. And I, I, would, I would have to just wanna sit with you and be like, well, I can't see it either. But wh what's happened is that, that cannot lead to bitterness and anger and frustration and rage. And I'm praying for you, I've been praying for you all week, but can I suggest what happened to you did not produce that? Like you have produced that out of what's happened. Because what we will do is we will feel a wound and we'll pick at the stitches 
and it'll get infected and it'll get bigger and And I, I, just, I don't know, maybe he's here today to show you how all things he's allowed in his hands will create a maturity and a clinging to him for hope and healing that will be far better because Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, like this momentary affliction will prepare for you a weight of eternal glory. The kinds of heights and joys that you will experience that I'll be like, man, like I have crazy joy right now, but what, what's with her? Her entire family died on a ship one day on a missionary journey. And she suffered her whole life and prayed, you should, you should see the kind of things God's done in her life. Like, I don't know. I just, I, all, all I read verses that are like, this is gonna be far better in heaven. Those who suffer, I don't know. I'm just the mailman. But let me, let me be super duper clear. Jesus hates suffering and evil and sin and babies dying and, and, and the hall, he hates it. He hates it. He weeps with you and he, he wept at, at the funeral of Lazarus. The Greek word was he was angry at death and how it never was supposed to be this way. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. Like he is, a, he is a priest who has suffered far worse when you experience separation from an eternal lasting love that he had with his father that was broken at the cross for our sin. And he's taking it all to a place where he's gonna use it for your good even now, but will one day use it with the weight of glory that is beyond comparison. And listen, one day he will eradicate it forever. So here's the truth. Look right at me. Healing is guaranteed for every Christian. You're going to be fully healed, fully. Every Christian. Let's read a verse. Revelation 21, four. It'll be on the screen. He will, Jesus So yesterday we were going out to uh, Menchie's with the family and Joe is so, he carries like every really meaningful Lego person in his pockets. So he was so pumped when, they, when the light turned green to go to Menchie's, and, but he's, he has to hold his Lego guys. So he's just holding, but he trips and he can't, he doesn't have the time to pull his hands out and stop it. So he just went face down and he's just weeping. Cars are like, Honking, Nikki's like, get him. Um, but when we picked him up, like I just, I got to see Nikki just wipe away every tear. And I just thought of like how intimate that would be. Like Jesus will find you. Psalm says he sees every tear. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. 
Like it's guaranteed for every Christian. Because short church, God didn't make a world in which there was pain and suffering and evil. He didn't make a world in which there was sickness, disease, and death. That's not it was how it was originally supposed to be. And so you need to know, now speaking of healing, listen, just any time he cleansed a leper or gave sight to the blind, anytime he does it today, he's not merely suspending the natural order. Right? We want to go like, well, it's a miracle. He's suspending the natural order. He's not just suspending the natural order. He's actually restoring it. This is how it was always supposed to be. And healing is pointing forward every time. Why is this a spiritual gift? Because all the gifts are pointing in by God's spirit. The kingdom of God is breaking in. And just, you know, the kingdom of God one day will be physical. The gifts of healing are physical as well as emotional, mental, and everything we just read in Revelation. Every time God, through gifts of healings, gives healing, it's a sign of what he's gonna do eventually for everyone. He's gonna get rid of all of this. He's gonna get rid of sickness. He's gonna get rid of death. He's gonna heal the world. And miracles are the sign of that. Like, and if he doesn't now, he's a good surgeon. He's still committed to his children who can bring purpose into your life and give you what you've always wanted more than anything, that he would be enough. Listen, listen close and then we'll get to healing in my six minutes, uh, Philippians 1. He says this, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not, whoa, we need to stop. Look at that word, granted. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. And then he says, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth, like of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Not healing you. I talk to my mom all the time because she's, she's been to different healers and stuff like that. How's your faith? She's like, I just love the, like, she's like, I know he might heal me in this life, but I know he'll hit me on the next. I'm, I'm just, that blows the angels' minds, by the way. Because they're like, you love Jesus for him? He's, you didn't get healed. All right. So that's a little bit of the context for healing. Let's talk healing. Okay. This is, now that was just the intro. This is the sermon. So that doesn't count. Um, when does God heal? When does God heal? This is really important, really important. In almost every healing, I would say every, but I, I'm sure there's probably one in like Nehemiah. But in almost every healing, at least in every healing in the New Testament, two things are always at play. One, faith. Two, God's will. So the question, simple answers to when God heals is when there's faith, and when he wants to. So, so first, when there's faith, let me just give you some examples. Matthew 9, 22, Jesus heals and says, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. 
And instantly the woman was made well. In Mark 2, uh, the friends of a, a paralytic man, they bring him to Jesus. They, they go through the roof and Jesus says, looking at their faith, the faith of those who brought the man in, he, he heals him, not only spiritually forgives his sin, but heals him physically. In Acts 14, we read, and Paul intently looking at Paul, looking intently at him, seeing that he had faith. Like Paul's preaching goes, that guy has faith. The spirit just gives him a word of knowledge. He has faith to be healed. Stops the sermon, heals them, and then keeps preaching. That'd be pretty cool. In Matthew 9, Jesus asked the two blind men one question. He, notice Jesus. He says this, do you believe I'm able to heal you? What is he doing? He wants to draw out what they think about him, whether or not they trusted in him and his ability to heal. They say, yes, Lord. And then he says this, according to your faith, be it done to you. Jesus loves our faith in him. Faith is really important for all the gifts, all your gifts. He loves faith. Jesus took special delight in healing those who trusted in his power, people who were open and receptive to his ability to perform a mighty work. So the question is why? Well, it can't be that Jesus or his father needs it. Like easily God could design anything or, or something other than faith to be the condition in which he would heal. They're not hampered or hindered by the faithlessness or prayerlessness of a sick person. So why? My best answer is faith glorifies God. In that, here's why. It's very nature, faith's very nature in God points us away from ourselves to him. I've completely, he's got to do it. Um, when we relate to God with genuine faith, the focus is not on the person who believes, but on God to whom we look and in whose promises and power we place our confidence and trust in. Sam Storms, he says it this way, faith is an act of self-denial, a renunciation of one's ability to do anything. Faith itself carries no power but it is instrumental deriving its significance from the role it plays in relating us to the God who answers our prayers. So this is why when someone doesn't get healed, it's not good to say your faith wasn't big enough. Of course it was. If it was in God, of course it was big enough. Faith says he can. And so when someone's not healed, it's not because they didn't believe God was big enough to do it. It just wasn't his will. Listen, people either don't get healed with big faith or they do get healed with big faith. But faith needs to be there. That's up to him. This is really important. God doesn't grade our faith. That's not the economy of the gospel. Jesus didn't heal everyone, and I'm sure lots had faith he could. Jesus only did as the Father directed him to do. So very key, healing isn't something that God does based on some spiritual technique or based on your spiritual growth. Because if you're, if you're looking to get healed today and you're asking God to do that, it, he won't do it or not do it based on how moral your week was. It's not merit-based. So many people, because none of the gifts are, that's why they're gifts. So, when it, so many people, when it comes to healing, will have discouraging demonic lies where they think God is not close or he's, he must not think I'm enough in some aspect of their faith or relationship to him. 
the most, if you read any good biographies, the most faithful men and women of God may not see people healed. They bury their sons, they bury their daughters while pleading for healing. It has nothing to do because of our godliness. It's situational and it's always for us to see where it's all going, right? Like I've heard people say often, like, you know, Lazarus came out of the grave, but that guy's gotta go back in again. Like he's gotta die again. We can be like, hey, remember when you died twice? Yeah. Um, okay, I'm running out of time. There's, there's a difference between office of healing, which is where the elders are called to uh, anoint with oil. If you're sick, James 5 says we preached on it. I got a whole section on it. We're just gonna skip it. But if you want healing, we're always here as the elders to pray for that. But it's there for you to come. Okay, so let's talk about the thing we're preaching on. What is the spiritual gift of healings? Okay, where do we see? Well, 1 Corinthians 12, 28 says this, and God has pointed in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings. You also read about it uh, in Romans as well. In all the places we have this spiritual gift mentioned and listed, it's really cool that it's plural. So this is actually not the best translation. If you go to the NASB and the Greek, they translate it gifts of healings. Gifts of healings. Really key here, no individual has the gift in the sense that they can pray for any sick person at any time and they will always be healed. That doesn't exist. Like all revelatory gifts, they're spontaneously brought to the spirit for God's will for that building up of the, of the person. Now, some will have connect the dots. They'll have many times where God's given them gifts of healing for this specific thing. But really exciting here, God in his sovereignty imparts to a local church gifts for this particular kind of healing and moment and to another gifts for this type of healing for a different affliction. John Piper puts it this way, at different times for different sicknesses, God gives to different people different gifts of healings. And this would include all kinds of healings, emotional, mental, physical, sexual, demonic strongholds, mental. So really important, a person may be gifted to heal many people, but, but listen, not all the time. So he's distributed gifts of healing. And I love that. I love that because as I studied this, it made a lot more sense, even for those who have gifts, like Paul. Like Paul, if you read the book of Acts, he had many times where he miraculously had gifts of healing. But he couldn't heal all the time. Okay, let me show you something. In Philippians, there was a man named Aphrodite who goes to Rome to support Paul in prison. And it says he fell very sick and almost died. Now we know Paul again healed many times. So why doesn't he heal Aphrodite? Even Timothy, his like closest number two, who, who Paul just treasured, was sick with all kinds of sickness. He even tells him, look, you're getting sick a lot. Have some wine for your stomach. Why not just heal him? In 2 Timothy 4.20, he left, it, we read this, and I left Trophimus who was ill at Miletus. Why? Because gifts of healings are distributed by God's sovereign purpose to this person or to this person and maybe not to this person. Like no one can pull out this at their back pocket. Like all revelatory gifts, healing is one that God does in his sovereignty, but he does it. Okay, I think we get that, right? There's gifts of healing, which means I believe in the short church, there's 
more than one gifts of healing. By the way, you might even have the gift of healing, but you've never actually prayed and asked God to heal someone. So you should pray. You might have it. Okay, so here's a definition really quick or an indica- and some indicators you have this gift. So here, gifts of healing are special abilities God gives to certain members of the body of Christ to serve as a human intermediaries through whom it pleases God to cure illness and restore health apart from the use of natural means. Supernatural, you pray, God heals them. If this is you, here's how you know this is you, okay? <laughs> You'll pray and someone gets healed. Um, but no, no, sorry, that's, that, that's how you would know. But you'll oftentimes people with this spiritual gift will, will experience almost like a profound, deep desire to see God alleviate physical, mental, sexual, and physical problems in people. Often people with the gifts of mercy, God will give the gifts of healing. So if you have the gift of mercy, my encouragement to you is to, to just pray. Ask God to heal. Um, because oftentimes those gifts will go together, but you will get profound joy and willingness to be used by God to do that. And the difference is you actually will. Um, People with this gift will often have this sense that God is present for healing. Uh, I asked one guy today who has a spiritual gift of discernment, "Would would you pray and ask the Holy Spirit if he's here to heal? And I was praying if those of you with the words of knowledge would have a sense, does God wanna heal someone today? But you'll have this sense, like you'll know, I think God wants to heal or do a healing in your life. And, and what's interesting is with the gift of healing, you might have this sense and God might heal that person three years from that time, but he was also showing you that I'm gonna heal this person. Um, what else with our time? We, you'll just, you'll have this, again, you'll just know. You'll know deep down in your heart that you need to pray. So let me say a few things pastorally. This is you. Um, one, really important, when you start praying for someone, make sure you spend a good time asking lots of questions. Get to know them, um, what's going on in their life, what's, what's exactly they're asking prayer for. But while you're doing that, begin to dial down and start listening to God. Like slow down in your spirit, because you want to hear from God. You want to have his leading And if you get nothing while you're praying that, don't be discouraged, that happens a lot. Make sure though that you tell this person, God will answer this prayer in full one day. Like you will be healed and he may heal you now and he may not, but we're gonna pray and we're gonna ask. Secondly, ask the Holy Spirit to impart his healing directly to the person or the portion of the body that's actually in pain. And listen, this might freak you out a bit, but whatever. Uh, It's okay to be bold meaning you, you can say in the name of Jesus, be healed. Here's why. Here's where we get that. Every time Jesus heals, he commands it. Notice though, I did not say, neither should you, in the name of Jesus, I declare that you're healed. There's a difference And if they don't, that's okay. Just so you know, God's not looking for a magic password. There's not some theological sophisticated way, even though I gave you like, try this. But um, (laughs) he's really concerned with the attitude and the compassion of your heart. James, I've prayed for healing and it doesn't happen to me. What do I do? 
One of my favorite people in this ministry is Beth. Where's Beth? Bailey, is she not even here today? Beth, it was going down. Oh, yes. Thank you. Beth comes down for prayer and healing almost every single week. And I read one pastor who said, never stop praying unless shown otherwise by divine revelation or death. So Beth, keep coming. Unless the Lord just says, I'm not gonna heal you. And, and that's okay. Other revelatory gifts, again, go with this one. And so if you have this gift, because what we're all gonna do when we come to church is go, Holy Spirit, will you show me this gift? If you have gifts of words of knowledge, will you ask on a Sunday, Holy Spirit, if you wanna heal someone today, will you reveal that to me? Okay, I know this is risky, but will you all stand with me? It's not risky, what am I saying? We're gonna stand? What if I fall? Um, what I meant by risky is we've, in the past, when we've taught on specific spiritual gifts, so if you're brand new and you're like, what is happening? Um, we actually asked those with the spiritual gifts, if they identified them, that they would stand. And what we did, so if you had like, you know, the gifts of helps and mercy, we would pray for them. Like we, we would pray for those and we would ask the Holy Spirit to give them the character for this gift and to unleash this gift even more in, uh, in, in their lives. And so we're not gonna do that today, but what I am gonna ask you to do today is we're gonna, so Jordan, you can come up with the, with the band, is Dale's away. Um, but I've asked the two elders in training, John and Jesse, to come over here. So we're the prayer couple today. We're one of your pastors and pastors in training. Um, want to pray for you. Anything, anything going on. It doesn't have to even be healing. But if there is something that you, even while we were uh, preaching or, or here where the Holy Spirit said, go for, have faith. God might heal you today. And if you have the spiritual gift of healing, if you identified, if you had any sense where you've actually seen people feel better, it could have been the next day where they were like, when you prayed for me, God healed me. Or when you, when you shared and prayed for me for that really hard struggle spiritually I was going through, I felt completely freed. When you prayed and, and, and that demonic spirit left, it's a form of healing. If you have the spiritual gift of healing, I want you to join us and we're gonna pray for healing. And then we're gonna respond also with communion, which is the celebration that Jesus suffered so that we wouldn't in eternity, that he died in our place for our sin and that his body and blood was shed so that we could have communion with the Father and we can be brought into his family as sons and daughters. And so come, like take communion. And, and I wanna, you know, I have no time, but I remember one guy I worked with in Chicago um, the two sacraments, we're having a baptism class next week, are, are, are also grace-filled, meaning when we take this, there's something profound that happens in our hearts with the Lord. It's just symbolic, same with baptism. But I remember one guy had PTSD. Um, he kept, he could not, he would have nightmares in the middle of the night. And the moment he got baptized, they were gone. God healed him through sacraments of grace. God is a healing God. He could heal you when you wake up tomorrow. It's up to him when he heals you. All I'm saying is, is have faith today. Like don't waste this time of response. Like just talk to him. I don't know what you're going through, but like don't just, don't waste, like let's sing and worship and, and pray and, and 
Yeah, so come when you're ready and, and we'll, let's respond now.